0: Hi everyone, Jason here. On May the 14th, Stephen and myself will be appearing with the one and only Mark Lewison at the Pavilion Theatre in Dun Laoghaire, Dublin. We're going to be celebrating 60 years of a hard day's night, and we would love you to join us. For tickets, go to paviliontheatre.ie or nothingisrealpod.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just
1: not who I am. But Noom worked for me.
0: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Nothing is Real, a Beatles podcast, is powered by Acast. Welcome to Nothing Is Real, a podcast about the Beatles. Everybody thinks they know the Beatles, but how much do we really know? My name's Jason Carty. My name's Stephen Cockcroft. And we're live on tape from Dublin and Belfast. Today, we're going to focus in on another year in beetle history. And the year we're going to look at is 1974, a year when all four Beatles are ferociously busy and interacting with each other in different ways. And it's an interesting year, isn't it, Stephen? Because we come off 1973, which is the first time when they're interacting with each other. But the balance of who's doing well and who's not doing well is, is kind of all over the place.
1: It is. I mean, they, they really confined their expectations. Uh, so, in the run up to 1973, beginning of 74, Ringo was having huge chart success. We talked in our Ringo episode about that album uh, that came out in 1973, that there were three uh, top 10 US singles there. Uh, George has uh, Living in the Material World, which produced a number one single. Red Rose Speedway from Paul, My Love, Live and Let Die, Helen Wheels, Mind Games. Uh, and Mind Game's the single. So there's a lot going on in 1973. Um, They're dominating the charts. Um, They're collaborating uh, on the Ringo album. And we're coming into 1974, which is the 10th anniversary of the Ed Sullivan Show and is presenting Capital with an opportunity to... um, capitalize Uh uh, on I see what I did there Uh, (laughs) on the uh, on that anniversary we've had the red album the blue album at the end of uh, in 1973 so there's every expectation that they're going to continue to dominate uh, the charts going into 74.
0: Yeah it's interesting I mean it's full steam ahead they're all spinning off in different directions and as you say you know there's no reason to think well this is it now we're in the post Fab Four universe, they're all doing their own solo thing, and they're just going to be eternally successful, all four of them, in their own way, forever. But yep. in some ways, 73 is just in, like an, an Indian summer. It's it's uh, something that actually is a, is a false dawn.
1: It is. I think if you, if you look back, you know, hindsight is a wonderful thing, and if you look back, you can see 73 as sort of peak solo Beatles in the sense that whilst they may not all be working together uh they they are sparking off each other and they are influencing each other um, Paul, who you would perhaps have expected to be the one to to be the most successful in forging a solo career is, is struggling, but is starting to find his, his, his feet. Uh, John, the critical mauling of sometime in New York city in 1972 is something that really derailed his career for a while. um, Certainly in terms of chart performance in in 73, but they're all there. They're all producing uh, material and that, that, sense of competition between them is still there i think
0: and it's interesting let's talk about the record company thing for a second there because you talked about I, I i find you know when look preparing for this episode you look at 1974 it's very much a um a north american kind of uh, window that you kind of look through when you see it because that's where a lot of them are being based or that's where a lot of the success is being focused at and capital records in 74 launched this very curious campaign that's kind of been lost in the midst of time which is a 10 years of the beatles campaign and there's 64 to 74 is how they label it and we, we might think as beatle people of well beatles started in 62 or british beatlemania was in 63 as we know but you know they have this thing 64 to 74 and there's a it, what's curious about it is, you know, there's a there's a there's an advert that you can see it's up on YouTube that they put out at the time, which features Beatles songs plus Imagine plus some Band on the Run tracks and all the rest, and it's 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 incorporating the four Beatles as a solo entity in this Beatles capital campaign.
1: Yes, they're, I mean they're not letting go of of this notion of a group, so yeah. they may be they may be working uh, individually, but they're still part of that group and. This follows on from again we touched on this in a previous episode the reunion rumors really get going in 1973 particularly around the ringo album where you know you have three uh beatles in a studio working together and um this this reunion aspect just surfaces again and again yeah.
0: and i can't help but feel the capital R because as part of this 10-year thing there's a there's a very rare box that they put out of all their albums they start you know, as I said, promoting all the solo albums as part of the Beatles albums, there's lots of posters and paraphernalia that goes out and around. And you can't help but feel that Capital are also keeping an eye on the fact that the clock is ticking on some of their contracts. And there's a lot of record company work that kind of happens in 74 that's making them all have big hits.
1: Yes, I mean, I think this is is absolutely uh, correct. And probably um, the the album that sort of exemplifies that is... uh, Band on
0: the Run. Well, let's talk about Band on the Run for a second, because in some ways, you know, I think many people would agree with me, 1974 began truly when Band on the Run came out on the Checks Notes 5th of December 1973. (laughs) (laughs) But in some ways, Band on the Run is the first bookend of that year of of 1974, because even though it comes out at, at the tail end of 73, it certainly doesn't light up the charts when it comes out. It hits the US charts at 33 the week of christmas and it's not the phenomenon yet that we know it's just yet another paul album initially in a way
1: yes i think i mean i think i think the reviews are good mm. but it's as you say it's not lighting up the charts uh you, you know it gets to number nine in the uh uk uh, just before christmas and then it drops to number 13 so mm. you, you imagine that uh paul must have been Bitterly disappointed by that and, and the record company. Um, it's just not performing well. And with hindsight, you, you, you know, or um, arguably a slight rewriting of history. Yeah. You know, this is suddenly the big critical commercial breakthrough album for Paul, but it didn't happen when it was released it was a slow burn a slow build
0: it is and well it, it's kind of the thing that happens in the background of, of the uh, uh, of 1974 um you know because it's, it's paul's second album of 1973 uh technically you know Um, but you know there's no preemptive single in the uk anyway from band on the run in the us though when we get into january uh of 1974 uh, Helen Wheels, which is on the US version of Band mm. on the Run, that is almost in the top 10. So let's kind of start in January 74. And we kind of look at the charts and, uh, you know, Ringo is still hanging around the charts with the tracks from the Ringo album that we talked about before. Um, Helen Wheels is about to get into the, the top 10. And what else is going on? Uh, this is in the US that, of course, uh, George is off traveling again.
1: George is off traveling. So uh, this, this this is, uh, again, another sort of peak of George's interest in uh, Indian music. So in, in January, he's visiting with uh, Ravi Shankar in Benares, and he's, he's suggesting it to Shankar at this point that um, he should think about touring Europe, touring the United States, uh, getting an orchestra um, together. And George being George, throws himself uh, into this project. <laughs> um, he, he has previously set up the material world foundation yep. and this is really the first project that's going to be undertaken by that foundation um, he encourages Shankar to start writing material and they're in Friar Park uh, recording at George's uh, uh home studio
0: and what's interesting is you know this is the, the start of 74 and as we're going to find out that tour as it slowly unfolds throughout the year isn't going to Lead in in the best directions, but it's certainly the the foundations of it start in in January of seventy four.
1: Well, this is it because what w- what's happening is um George across the year will be putting plans together for his own tour. He yeah. wants to bring Rab- Ravi Shankar on board with that. Um, uh, he is has formed his own uh, uh, record label yeah. with the idea of you know certainly putting out Ravi Shankar records, but. Uh, th- there's a sense that that he does at least initially um, yeah. want to build on the idea of apple yes th- this idea of, of of you know fostering talent and and, and bringing in other uh, uh, musicians so he's he 's really spending uh, that that first month of the year in uh, India.
0: Yeah, and still, if you look at the U.S. charts at the start of nineteen seventy-four, George isn't anywhere to be seen. Photograph is falling down the charts. Your sixteen by Ringo is going up the charts. Mind game is still hanging around, and as yep. that Helen Wheels is there as well, and Paul is also travelling. He's in the very exotic climes of uh, Stockport.
1: Yes. Yes. So George, George gets India, and Paul gets Stockport. Well,
0: Stockport has its own inspirational source. There's, there's. Uh, we're talking about Strawberry Studios in
1: Stockport. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yes, yes. People hopefully will know Strawberry Studios. This is essentially Ten CC's studio. I know you're yeah. a big. Uh, 10cc founder
0: godly and cream i'm a godly and, i will i will uh, i will take godly and cream over 10cc because i'm oh, okay. peculiar that way but yeah it's a uh, strawberry stockport is i don't know it's about 30 miles from manchester or so it's in the north of yeah, england yeah. and uh it's uh, strawberry studios was set up in the late 60s by uh, eric stewart and uh, peter tatterstoke who'd worked with Billy J. Kramers and, and, and the Cosas. And Eric Stewart yep. had made a name for himself. He had taken over as the lead singer of Wayne Fontana and the Mindbenders when Wayne Fontana left. And uh, he kind of took his pop star money and, and, and opened the studio. And uh, Graeme Goldman joined as an, inv- as an investor. And then the, the house band was Graeme Goldman, Eric Stewart, and then Godley and Cream were knocking around as well. And so 10CC had grown out of this studio. And Paul is in the Strawberry Studios in Stockport because he's working on the McGear
1: album. Yeah. And I think again I think this is an album that we've touched on before. This if is you're, If you're playing Nothing up.
0: Is Real Bingo, you can tick yeah. off
1: the McGear album. Can tick the, you can tick <laughs> off the McGear. album. <international> <laughs> uh this is this is I think I think we both love this album. Yes. You know, this is just a sensational album.
0: But it kind of does it, 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 it the the appeal of Strawberry Studios is that uh, it seemed to have a great reputation for pop really this kind of very contemporary pop in the early 70s so 10cc yep. would be a part of that the mcgear album's a part of that neil Sedaka did a bunch of really interesting kind of comeback albums with backed by 10 C in the same studio at the time so um yeah and and paul is kind of in and out of uh, strawberry studios which is kind of odd for him to be it's an odd part of the world for him to be hanging around in
1: yeah i mean i i think i've read um interviews with uh with mike mcgear um yeah. And, and this really came out of Paul saying to him, "So, you know, what are you doing? And uh, you know, how are you putting food on the table, sort of thing? And and uh, you know, would you like to make an album?" So Paul has really takes the start of the year and off and on uh, across the next few months is really devoting a lot of his time yeah. towards what, what. It's odd. I mean, they obviously had expectations or ambitions that this was going to be a a sort of a commercially successful album yes but at the same time it's extremely weird album
0: well again i wonder you know and i said i love the album but it came out in warners and it kind of got a big push from warners and promotional films and all the rest and with record company shenanigans you know warners were in play for paul himself at some point in the mid-70s and it might have been a uh, you know, part of that politicking was to, you know, look after the McGear album. Look what look we did for Mac- Mike.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a uh, Mike McGear has a very interesting book. I think it's called Family Album, and he he describes the promotional tour, which is not a, a, a musical tour. It's just him really going uh, around radio stations with Derek Taylor. Yes. Um, in the U.S. Uh, you know, it sounds like he had a ball, but uh, I'm not I'm not quite sure how <laughs> productive it was, but um. Uh, I, but we, again, we have probably floated this theory before that this is a sort of a, a Paul gets to cut loose here. Yes. You know, he 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 doesn't have he he's not burdened by the commercial expectations of producing a new Wings album or a new Paul McCartney album, and there's a, there's a bit of kind of messing around and 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 just he's a lot freer in what he's he's doing. When he's doing. also
0: recording, because obviously Mike McGear, Mike McCartney was in one of the three members of the Scaffold, and Paul's also yeah. working with the Scaffold at this time, who are kind of back in action. They've been inactive and they're they're back again and they've a they've a hit a kind of a, a another kind of freak hit single in 1974 with Liverpool Lou and Paul produces that.
1: Yeah, I I always thought Liverpool Lou was a sort of traditional uh So did Paul song and so did Paul, but it was actually actually written by it's an Irish uh, uh song, all the best songs are Irish. Of songs. Um written by Dominic Bain, who mm-hmm. is the brother of Brandon Bain. And uh, as you say, Paul thought it was a traditional song and he put his name on it yeah. or, you know, traditional arranged by Paul McCartney. Uh, there was a bit of, uh, you know, toing and froing. And, <laughs> uh, on the shoulder, so to speak. <laughs> and uh, the later pressings were correctly credited. So if you find a copy of that single, it, you know, it was a big hit single. So there's a lot of them kicking around. But you, you, you're, what you're looking for is the one with the Paul McCartney writing credit. And
0: then you can retire.
1: And then you can respond or you can can gift it, gift it, gift it to us,
0: (laughs) send it to PO box. Nothing is real. The the B side is a strange thing, which I have to admit, I don't recall listening to until getting ready for for, for recording this, this podcast, which is uh, it's called what's called 10 years after on strawberry jam. And it's written by Paul and Linda.
1: Yeah. And, and it's just it's, this kind of
0: odd groove and Liverpool chat and all the rest.
1: It's just it's just essentially an instrumental with with sort of conversation in, mm. in the background. Um uh, you know, it's 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 exactly the sort of thing that Paul would be doing on McCartney too. Yeah, you know, and if you, you, you think yeah. like check my machine and secret friend and those those odd little in studio experimental things he's he's doing it here you know he's this is where he, he's 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 sort of experimenting with
0: if if you do listen to it it sounds like the guitar is going to slip into the theme tune to coronation street at any point in time
1: that's uh well they were they were near manchester they, exactly. can, can, can we do our, can i mention the liverpool blue connection with uh yoko oh yeah yeah what is that you... uh yoko chose this song, not Scaffold's version, but uh, chose this song on Desert Island Discs in 2007 on, because uh, John used to sing it to Sean as a lullaby. Aww, so there you go. That's, so that's nice. Connections everywhere.
0: Um, so as the month progresses, um, Helen Wheels gets into the US top 10. It hits number 12 in the UK. Ringo gets to number one with Your 16, and Paul is on Ringo's Your 16, as we mentioned yep. on the, the, the Ringo album episode. Um, so they're all going quite well and then as as uh, as is normal february follows on from january and we're getting back into this realm of Beatle reunion rumors
1: yeah so the, in february melody maker just announces uh that that there is going to be a beatles reunion and and the interesting point here is that no one is officially denying this yeah um although Ringo is the one, you think of Ringo as being the sort of affable one that would, you know, come out to play with any of the other three. Yeah. He, he actually says, well, I'm not keen on a Beatles reunion. Oh. And, if, and if you think about it at the time, why would he be? I mean, he is arguably the most successful uh, commercially, uh, the most successful of the four of them yes you know he he's certainly outperforming john and i think it's around this time that john famously sends him a telegram or a note saying any chance you could write me a hit <laughs> you know so um and he's just about to release oh my my which is the third single which will give him another uh, another top, top five. Ten hit yeah
0: and yeah. um, what's interesting is you know as as february goes on it uh, uh, leads back to the thing of band on the run being in the background helen wheel starts to drop down the us charts and on the way down the charts it meets jet coming up the charts so i think it drops yeah. down to the, about the 37 jet comes in at 69 on the, the 9th of february and so jet starts a six week ascendancy into the into the top 10 and so what that starts to do is that starts to provoke the album itself slowly into the us top 10 as well and band on the run starts to get this momentum in february
1: yeah so as we said at the beginning this is a slow build yeah and um one of the things that you 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 sort of read about band on the run is this is one of the first beatles solo albums to have a very dedicated marketing campaign so yeah uh, capital are really throwing a lot at this, and it's it's well thought out. This idea of putting Helen Wheels, which has been a, a hit in America, you know, Paul sort of reluctantly. Ac- accedes to that, that request so there, there is a strategy here there is a marketing campaign and this is really the first time that we start to see this, we'll see it later in the year but this with other releases, yeah. but this is really the first time that Capital are doing this.
0: And it's interesting because the strategy is and it hasn't really certainly wouldn't have been a Beatles strategy and it hasn't really happened with the solos, it's mine the album for singles yes. and so you know Paul has said in interviews, oh there was a guy in Capital who said I think Jet's a single and you know the, the single was actively Worked, and uh, you know the the record company kind of are. They realize it's a good song. They realize they have a hit, and they realize that the conditions are right, and they are getting it up the US charts week on week. But it it is this interesting slow burn, you know.
1: And Um, and again, again, thinking back, I mean, Paul is the one that has post Beatles stuck with this idea of standalone singles up to this point. Yeah, and and Helen Wheels was clearly intended to be a standalone. Yeah, single, um, and you know he he'll do that occasionally, uh, going forward. But but uh, you know this seems to be the point at which, again, uh, you know he's looking for commercial success as well as critical yeah. success, um, and and so yeah, mining albums for singles is the way it's, it's the way the new <laughs> Forward.
0: And what's interesting is, you know, this, this talk about the reunion, it also feeds in over into the, you know, the, the high court shenanigans, because the Beatles still aren't clear of, you know, suing each other and everybody within a two foot radius. And and Paul says, you know, oh, it's, you know, there, there, there's a what a high court appointment of a, an Apple receiver, isn't that right, to, to, to yeah, help wind up it, the company? Uh, and Paul that's sort it. of says, uh, you know, as soon as we get all that sorted out, you know, we can get together and do something. You know, that's the kind of vibe which is... You know, a line he played for many, 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 many years.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think consistently this is this is what used to sort of particularly annoy George. Uh, you know, that he always used to say, you know, well, Paul has something to sell. He'll tap into that, uh, th- those reunion rumors. But mm-hmm. n- uh, no one, as I say, no one was denying it at this stage. Yeah. Uh, they were sort of letting that rumor float out there. Um, and And it's difficult at this remove, you know, 50 years on, where, you know, particularly post-1980, where you knew that was never going to happen. This was only three years after the split.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. And uh, there was every possibility. I mean, I I remember 78, 79, thinking there is a, you know, they're going to get back together. I mean, they will get back together. Yeah. And, um, but this, this was such a real possibility and such a tantalizing possibility. And as I say, 73, they had dominated the chart.
0: Yep. And Paul gets nominated for an Oscar in February, 74, for Live and Let Die, and he doesn't win. Boo. No. That's, that's...
1: Well, I, you know, I have to say, yeah, Marvin Hamlish, the way we were, I'd rather have live and let die. I yeah, I, be, uh,
0: I wasn't sure what side of the fence you were going to come down there. So I thought you were going to say, you know,
1: <laughs>
0: he lost to the better song. I wouldn't.
1: Uh, uh, he's no, you know, he's no Marvin Hamlish.
0: Uh. <laughs> um, so then we get into March, and at this point, George's tour that you know the seeds that have been sown in January, his US, his North American tour, uh, gets confirmed by Apple and. Actually, this is a you know, we take it for granted now with you know, Paul's been on the road so much, but this was the first proper tour by a solo Beatle that gets announced.
1: Yeah, uh, this is this is going to be the big uh, American tour. You know, no, no Beatle has done a, a tour there, so they haven't done a tour since 1966. John has done a couple of one off concerts, we had Bangladesh, but this is this is a full blown tour, yeah. and um, again, this this th- th- this is the early 70s, this is the start of this sort of arena-style touring. I mean, this is really in its infancy at this stage.
0: Well, the other tours that are announced at this point and that kind of evolve in 1974, the two big tours, and we'll we'll come back to them maybe a bit later on, are uh, Bob Dylan, and he's touring with the band, and Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. And they both do these massive tours. And in some ways, they are... Era defining tours. They 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 set up the next forty to fifty years of rock star yeah. touring in a way.
1: Yeah, this is this is the template that that uh, that, that they're still we're still using. Yeah, you know we're looking at foot we're looking at indoor arenas, we're looking at outdoor football stadiums. This is this is the template.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know, if, correct me if I'm wrong. Dylan hadn't toured properly in about eight years. He had done Isle of light yep. and a few things. But yep. so Dylan's on a tour with the band, and you know the the question is. Are you going to give them something new or not? Really, people. This is this is the tour as looking back, play the hits. We you know we don't really want the new stuff. This is where yeah. all this comes from yeah. in a way.
1: It is. I mean, uh, you know, this is this is the start of the hits yeah. tour by by those big sort of uh, top tier uh, artists. It's also, I have to say, the start of Bob Dylan's willful. Recasting of his own material, so it's it's sort of well. Of course, I'm going to play the songs you want to hear. I'm just not going to play them the way you want them want to hear them. Yes. So, um, you know, he he does the acoustic set, and that's fine. But he's he's uh, if you if you listen to Before the Flood, it's a fantastically powerful album, and Mm. he is just howling out the the lyrics. Uh, um, the vocals are amazing. Um, uh, but, but but it is it is. A completely new uh sort of approach
0: yeah and, and Crosby Stills and Nash are doing these kind of three or four hour long shows and what's interesting yeah. about these tours is and and the Stones as tours you could say are kind of evolving into that as well and they've been kind of on back on the road about two years it's, it's this notion where the show is less about the band and it's more about the audience's night out in a way does that make yes. sense
1: Yes, I think no. I think that's exactly right. It it starts to become, particularly with the stones, it starts to become. It's a spectacle, mm. and and you, you know when you when you go to see uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash, you know you're going to get a couple of kind of hippy dippy songs from Graham Nash. You're going to get some kind of jazzy folk from David Crosby, and then you're going to get the the guitar workouts from Neil Young and Stephen Stills. And they're 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 dividing up the show. You've got an acoustic set. You've got and yeah, they're absolutely delivering. What the audience want yeah. i mean there is an expectation there and they're fueling that expectation and, yeah. and the audiences are now settling into this notion that this is what you're going to, to get
0: millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right
1: and Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at
0: airbnb.com slash host. And so George is announcing a tour in this kind of environment. And yeah. there might be an expectation maybe that he's going to supply what people want. Um so that's a tour for later in the year. Also happening is the last uh, non-Beatle-related Apple single comes out um, uh, by Badfinger, "Apple of My Eye," uh, which yes. I think is from their album uh, "Ass," uh, and that's a bit of a bit of a kind of a slow. It's it's not their last album, but it's a bit of a slow end for um, Badfinger it, it, and Apple.
1: It is. It's it's you know, "Apple of My Eye" is is a sort of regretful look back at uh, their relationship with the Beatles and with the label and um it, it's but it's a, it's a long slow decline mm. not not necessarily in the in, in the quality of the music but in terms of badfinger's potential and yeah. badfinger's commercial uh uh success um this was again 1972 it was originally begun but it was delayed because of production problems uh, badfinger had Sort of been slightly diverted as well. They turn up on the Imagine, uh, some of them turn up on the Imagine album. They were mm. there at the Bangladesh concert. Um, uh, Todd Rundgren oh, yeah. was brought in, produced two songs. Uh, I think everybody falls out with Todd when he's trying to produce uh, their records. <laughs> been known to uh, yeah. And then Chris Thomas, who was working as an engineer. Uh, so, Chris Thomas of White Albums, Sex Pistols, Back to the Egg. Am I right in saying Chris? Yeah, Thomas? Back to the Egg. Um, So this is a very sort of a mixed bag, but this really represents the end of Apple as a label. Yeah. Uh, You know, it's it's now the home of the four Beatles who are seeing out their own uh, contracts.
0: So we haven't spoken much so far in 1974 about uh, John Lennon. And in March 1974, that finds John out in Los Angeles. He's living with uh, May Pang. So he's separated from Yoko. And he's moving into he lives, moves into a rented beach house in l a yeah and yeah so this is a so notorious kind of house in a way
1: this it is this is this is the sort of the riot house this mm. is um so john John is out there really part of his separation from yoko he 's put a lot of miles between himself and new york um, he is uh, just at the beginning of seventy four coming off the back of the initial sessions for the rock and roll. Album. I don't think we'll, we'll kind of go into it. There's a whole episode, I think, to be mm. dealt with about his relationship with Phil Spector. But those sessions began in October 73, ended in December 73, when Phil Spector ran off with the tapes. Yeah. So that entire project has sort of run into the sand, and John is at a bit of a loose end. One of the things that I hadn't known was that he actually meets with Paul and Linda at this point so Paul and Linda are in LA
0: yes uh,
1: for the Oscars and John is hanging out at the Oscars uh, so I, I wasn't aware that that had been a, a yeah meeting.
0: and there's no photographic evidence of that though we I've know. not
1: I've not seen anything no. but obviously
0: John was commiserating uh with Paul about the whole live and let die Marvin Hamlish disaster
1: I, I, I would I would say <laughs> crying on right. each other's very, up, very upset probably that Paul didn't win an Oscar but uh, then
0: this sets up you know what's you know perhaps more famous about this beach house and 1974 which is when paul goes to visit john in the beach house and john is he well the main thing he's doing at the time is he's working on uh harry nielsen's pussycats album isn't that
1: right that's it so you know he having no project of his own and on on the basis that he seems to have decided you know uh, things are getting out of hand you know so we've got we've got john we've got uh Ringo, you've got Harry Nilsson, you've got Keith Moon. Uh, All of these people are hanging around LA. Nothing is getting done. Um, It's they're all having a very good time, I imagine. Um, (laughs) So so John uh, undertakes to uh, work with Harry Nilsson on this album, and it's that, that that same sort of rotating cast of characters that we had on the Ringo album. Yeah, we are all hanging out in LA and all all sort of working on this. And it's during one of these uh sessions that uh Paul and Linda just happened to drop by Burbank uh studios.
0: And tell me this. First of all, in terms of the Pussycats album, let me ask you, do you like the Pussycats album?
1: I do like the Pussycats album. Okay. I I think I think if you take the best songs off the Pussycats album, and it's a mixture of originals and 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 uh, uh, sort of old fifties rock and roll covers. Take the best tracks off that. The best tracks off Walls and Bridges. A few tracks off Rock and Roll. Mm. It's a great, it's a great album.
0: <laughs> but that's not what happened. But that's not what happened. That's not what
1: happened. I think, I think about half of uh, half of Pussycats is yeah. is, is really good. Uh, the rest is not so good
0: yeah i I love nielsen i always find pussycats hard to love Um, and this is also the milieu in where john and harry nielsen are hanging out and they're thrown out at the troubadour club for heckling the smothers brothers and they're generally high on life is that a fair thing to say
1: high on life and brandy alexander seems to be the uh uh, Uh, yeah
0: yeah. Um, but here's then we get to the end of march and you know paul and john have obviously had some kind of avenue of you know reconnection and yeah, on the twenty eighth of March, Paul turns up at this beach house, come recording site, and uh, decides to just be part of the gang, and and this leads to what we now know is this toot and a Snore in seventy four bootleg, is the recording that you can hear of this today, yeah. but it's quite a the on paper it sounds amazing.
1: Yeah, well, you you've got John, you've got Paul, you've got Linda, uh, you've got Stevie Wonder, Harry Nilsson, Jesse Ed Davis. Bobby Keys, the from from the Stones, and uh, the producer uh, the, at Burbank Studios, Ed Freeman, all sort of involved in this uh, impromptu jam. And as you say, on on paper, this should be wonderful. But what it is is an insight into how chaotic and unproductive the whole sort of sessions around yeah. that time were. That everyone is either drunk or you know high as a kite. Uh, you can hear at one point um john offering stevie wonder some cocaine yeah. uh, asking for some cocaine uh, uh you know they're all fiddling around with microphones Th- the, the the most fascinating thing for me is the fact that paul is not pushing himself forward he's not trying to sort of take control or he's not trying to drive the session you would you would think uh, you know uh, paul's instinct would be to marshal the troops and try and produce something and i you know i think the sense here is paul knows that this is not going to produce any magic Um, and this is not what he wants uh, the reunion to be
0: well ringo has already left the building which is interesting he'd already headed off for the night so we could have had john paul and ringo at which point you know because because what paul does on the on the recording is he goes sits on ringo's drums and just starts drumming because that's that's what you want (laughs) not really is is paul being the drummer but um he's trying to he is doing a little bit of oh you know fall in get stuff started
1: but it's it's really yeah well i mean at one point john says did anybody else put me on a mic and paul sort of goes yo You know, this kind of, yeah, Yeah. I'm over here behind the drum kit. You know, (laughs) um, uh, and the kind of the follow up to that is that the the next day, Ringo comes into the studio (laughs) and immediately says, who's been messing with my drum kit? Because Paul (laughs) has obviously altered the stool or the settings or whatever. And uh, Paul was here and he goes, McCartney always messes up my drum. (laughs) So this is again this is a kind of long suffering uh, Ringo, yeah, you,
0: you know it's odd. Imagine if you know Carnival of Light style, we hadn't heard this tape. But we knew it existed. Yeah. We would be falling. We'd be so excited about, oh, my God, what does this tape sound like? And yep. uh, yeah, it's, I mean, I'm assuming many people listening to the podcast have heard this tape. You can go off to YouTube and, and find it now. Um, one of the people there, as we said, there was May Pang, who wasn't behind an instrument, but she was taking photos. And some of the photos we have of these few days when Paul is hanging around are the the last shots we have of John and Paul together.
1: Yes. Yes. So she, she, she has a couple, She's two books. Um, uh, my, my favorite title book is Instamatic Karma. I see, see what she, she did, did there. there. Yeah. There. Um, <laughs> so, but, but, but she, she, uh, not only other photographs, but she sort of gives a written description uh, and it's one of those, you know, hello, John said, Paul, <laughs> how are you, Paul? He replied softly. Fine. How about you? <laughs> you know, it's, it's a bit, it, it, it's all very sort of rose tinted, um, and she says, you know, John and Paul played together. It sounded fantastic. Um, they made joyous music together that night. That was the only time John and Paul, backed by Stevie Wonder and Harry Nilsson, played together after the breakup. And, and you think, I don't, know what, I don't know what she was listening to, but it, it's not uh, not yeah. what you and I are listening to. When Paul
0: was asked in 1997, does he remember the session? He said, hazy for a number of reasons, Just quite yes. coy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but paul but, but and to yes, hang but, around this beach house for a couple of days yeah
1: they're, they're, they're kind of hanging hanging around for a couple of days and mei pang is there as you say There are snaps of uh paul i think with his his little mustache his little mustache um, yeah uh sort of around the, the pool and that is the last photograph taken uh of of john and paul together and they're just sort of they 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 are snaps they're sort of polaroids and, and yeah. just in a little instamatic um camera but um yeah, so on on, on the thirty first of March, Paul and Linda go to the 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 beach house, and there this is supposedly the point at which Paul passes on a message from Yoko saying you know she'd like to get back together, and he he's giving sort of advice to John that he should try and uh you know win win her back. Yeah. Um, and the other interesting thing that happens on on the thirty first of March is that Phil Spector, who is Holding the session tapes for rock and roll, is in a really bad car crash. Yeah. The weird thing is, you know, I think we can say Spectre was a bit of a nut before the <laughs> uh, car crash. Do we crash. have
0: to run that through our lawyers? I wonder. I don't, I think, don't think,
1: I think so. I, I, I don't think so. I think I think that's a fair comment. Um, but this this seems to make him even worse. Um, well, literally,
0: he was in a car crash and he lost his hair yeah yeah exactly
1: so so this is uh this this is uh one of his biographers says um you you know he was very seriously injured uh that the the police that arrived thought he was dead um and it's after this he starts wearing these these kind of outlandish uh uh, wigs supposedly according to his biography because of the scarring Mm. um for the like literally 300 stitches uh you, you know uh, there, but th- the weird thing is, at this point, Phil Spector was lying low, hiding from Lennon, and was had put the rumor about that he was dead. Right, and then, and then he nearly was dead. You know, <laughs> so um, but but it's just another very odd uh, uh, relationship uh, period uh, with those relationships.
0: Well, there's another odd thing that happens on the 31st of March, yeah. which is, uh, and I I find this amazing. Uh, John Lennon attends the American Film Institute tribute to Jimmy Cagney. And he's uh, attending this thing with Mick Jagger. And it's a a television event. You can watch it on YouTube. And it's hosted by Frank Sinatra.
1: All that talent, you know. Oh, my God. And It was a weird, weird. 70s were weird. (laughs) 70s uh, were weird.
0: Well, what's interesting is uh, Jimmy Cagney at that time was 73. Um, We think of, you know, you know. Uh, you know, all he our was,
1: he was, he was an old man.
0: He was an old man, and now we look at Jagger, who, who's in his seventies, and Paul in his seventies, yeah. and all the rest. Um, uh, and then April first, I think, is Paul and Linda's last visit to the beach house, which is. Uh, uh the the where one of my favorite ever things happens when harry nielsen i think i might have even said this on the podcast before walks up to paul
1: tell the you can tell the story this is a good story well
0: no harry nielsen walks up to paul and says hey paul do you want some of this and paul says what is it and harry says it's angel dust and paul says what's that and harry says it's horse tranquilizer and paul says no I'm fine, and that (laughs) and Harry goes off and enjoys his day, Um, and uh, yeah, this is the kind of the last John and Paul hanging out moments. But what's interesting is that week of April the first is that Jet has been working its way up the charts. It's now a top ten hit. So when Paul's hanging around with John, Jet is at number seven in the US and the UK. And
1: I bet uh, bet, bet you John was really pleased by that
0: i don't know is john paying attention to to the charts but uh it's interesting and and paul and linda hang around la for another little while and they call over to brian wilson's house
1: yes this is a very this is a very sad uh story paul and linda supposedly the 4th of april are turned away from brian's house uh they can't get in but they know he's there because they can hear him inside sobbing Jeez, that's sad. And you think this is a kind of? Um, although I, I I have a friend that I I was talking to about this, and he said possibly he was crying because he heard Keith Moon's recently recorded version of uh, <laughs> Don't Don't Worry, Baby. Um, so Keith 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 Moon is part of this circle, and again, you know, because everybody else is recording an album, Keith Moon decides to record a solo album. So I don't know if you've heard two sides of the Moon. I have
0: not heard two. So I, I I I I'm pretty certain I made an attempt one day on the streaming services and then after about a minute realized life's too short
1: well what, uh, I w- what i what i would recommend is that you, it was 10 songs long this will give you an idea of, of, of the quality <laughs> 10 songs long it came out uh, a few years ago um with the original mal evans mixes oh yeah and, and some bonus tracks there are 41 bonus tracks oh lord so uh for all well, the complete. Plead us out there. You can uh, you can dig that, that out. out.
0: Well, you talk about Keith Moon. He's hanging out with Ringo Starr, and they in April seventy four they appear on this uh, radio program with uh, you know Mark Volman and Howard Kaylan, also known as Flo and Eddie. And it's yep. a bit of a again high spirited affair.
1: It's a high spirited affair, uh, and again I think you've talked about this. Uh, you know, at the time this is all high jinks. People are getting, it. but looking back you can see this is a kind of tragic start of a tragic decline for for Keith for Ringo. Yeah. But yeah, they appear on this live uh 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 TV show um and uh I I I be tactful how I say this Ringo was very drunk and dropped the F bomb mm. uh 15 times in a 90-second <laughs> period while they were while they were attempting to interview him. They uh caused the program to overrun by 40 minutes complaints were made and literally everybody involved got sacked <laughs> but, but, but you know what larks Poor Ringo. Uh, all, i mean all, for a man who could only
0: life. eat beans for uh, he certainly was able to imbibe yes. a lot of other yeah, things
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: oh lord um but you know I've, ringo's other great big triumph of april 1974 is everyone's favorite film son of dracula
1: Yes, yes. Let's talk about Son of Dracula. Let's do a really? whole episode on uh, Son of Dracula. So for, for, for people that don't know, uh, this is uh, a rock and roll vampire movie <laughs> uh, starring Harry Nilsson as uh, Countdown and uh, Ringo as the uh, magician Merlin. It's, it's as good as it sounds. And it's an uh, Apple
0: film. It it's
1: is bankrupt an- by Apple. Uh, bankrolled by apple uh, supposedly bankrupt bankrolled to the tune of about eight hundred thousand by ringo right uh but it, it i i watched this recently it's available on uh youtube uh but <laughs> has never surprisingly got a dvd release um and again maybe you know one day we'll we'll do a whole episode on on son of jackie but it is it is a terrible movie but the the, the only sort of interesting aspect that would make me want to watch it is Ringo called in Graham Chapman mm. uh, and Douglas Adams from Hitchhiker's Guide yeah. uh, to rewrite uh, a whole new script that would be dubbed onto the existing films. So it was like the, you know, the existing dialogue was so bad. yeah, um, and, and they, now I don't know what stage that got to, but if that was Ringo, Harry Nilsson, Graham Chapman, and there is another alternative dialogue soundtrack i would like to see i would like to hear that it's a bit like the the woody allen film uh, what's, what's up tiger, tiger yeah yeah
0: that's a that's um, a, well the last time i saw that film i thought it was funny i don't know how politically correct yeah, it is in twenty yeah, thirty 30 yeah. years but, ago
1: it seemed funny to me yeah you kind of think you know a, a, an alternative dvd with an alternative soundtrack that would be uh would yeah. be great it was, a, it, great. was
0: a, it was an interesting time for python as well because cleese had left monty python temporarily and Graham Chapman's partner became Douglas Adams, a pre-Hitchhiker's yeah. Guide Douglas Adams. So it's, it's, it's a curious yeah. time for them as well. Uh, and there was a soundtrack for that, but the soundtrack has kind of been lost to the midst of time because instead it's, you know, we just know the songs. Most of the songs are from the Nielsen albums, Nielsen, yep. Nielsen and Son of Schmilson. But the cover of Son of Schmilson gives you an idea of the high caliber of acting that went into uh, Son of Dracula.
1: Yes, there is, he's, he's dressed as Dracula on the cover of that album. Now Ringo apparently didn't know that, when oh. he cast him. Oh, really? So, no. it <laughs> um, it's do...
0: kind of station-to-station station style. It was just a freeze-frame from the movie, no? No, oh,
1: no. Okay. It, was, it was done before the movie. And, and when they discovered this, or when Ringo discovered this, there's a scene in the movie, I'm now about to give you a 30-minute exposition of, of Son of Jackie, there's <laughs> a scene where Nilsson, is quite an effective kind of walking through, you know, the rain-soaked streets of London, yes. and he stops outside a record shop, and his own record is in the window. Oh. um so they've a big sort of Nilsson display. Um there was one new song, Daybreak, which was recorded uh back in 72, but again, uh Harry Nilsson, Ringo Starr, Klaus Voormann, Peter Frampton, George Harrison. So again it's this again the same sort of rotating cast of everybody hanging out together. Um
0: yeah, and there is a there's a nice score uh, attached to it from um yeah. uh, uh Paul oh, Buckmaster. That's it. Elton John's uh, arranger in those early days. Uh, and if you
1: if you if you do see this album, uh it's uh, the only album ever released on the Apple.
0: Oh yeah, that's a crossover label, isn't
1: it? It's a crossover label between RCA and Apple. Um and it the front is a sort of not quite gateful sleeve. It's a picture of Nilsson and and sort of a cape that folds out. I mean there was a lot went into this. You know there was clearly a lot of serious money uh, thrown at the film and at this soundtrack and it was a disaster disaster uh, um, what I, yeah Ringo, Ringo, I just say Ringo said they only showed it in towns with one cinema <laughs> to because force if was, people because if there was another cinema people would go to whatever was on in the other cinema so, anyway <laughs> um, there we go uh,
0: and, and the same month we're still in April 74 John uh, vacates the, the beach house in LA he relocates to New York he's still yeah. With May Pang, though, he he hasn't uh, gone back to to Yoko yet, Um, but but it kind of belies this notion of, you know, the lost weekend, because, you know, once he goes back to New York, he he is kind of getting rid of all the drugs and alcohol. He's kind of cleaning up his act and he's sorting himself out and, and all of that.
1: Yes, I mean this is really the the, the sort of start of a uh, uh, sort of a little burst of creativity uh, following that lost weekend. The lost weekend is is, is described as a sort of eighteen month period, but really it's not that long. It's not that long. It's quite a short period. It's it's the rock and roll sessions. It's it's you know yeah. Four- or five months i suppose that would be long enough if you were drunk every day but uh, <laughs> um might have felt know. like 18 months yeah it felt like 18 months um
0: and the other thing that's happening in april 74 is that uh, paul is auditioning drummers for wings and he ends up with uh jeff Britton, who's yep. probably Wings's shortest lived member who's a karate black belt
1: yes and completely drug free
0: yes that'll work the, out on, well. the,
1: the only the only person in this this rotating cast that is drug free <laughs> um so, yeah, supposedly he auditioned Mitch Mitchell. Yeah. Uh, which uh, yeah, I, I can't see. Could you, Mitch Mitchell drumming on. I can't really see you know, that. Lot, but You give me the answer. I,
0: but it's interesting that Paul didn't, you know, and we've touched on this before, that, you know, Paul didn't go down the super route, you know, route, no. super group route. He could have, yeah. you know, put a couple of names together. Or you think of his Run Devil Run Band, you know, which was kind of quite, quite, quite famous names. For a short period of time, but he was trying to, you know, his his heart was in trying to do something organic and in, in in bringing up people who were new.
1: Yeah, he just wanted to be in a band, man. That's all.
0: That's all he up, did.
1: Up, up and down the motorway in a little transit van, <laughs> just I mean, like you. Gen- old- <laughs> genuinely, genuinely, you're not supposed to laugh at Paul. <clears throat> um, um, yes. Genuinely, uh, I I genuinely think that this is what he was after on those early wings tours yeah. you know, up and down the motorway that he 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 was harking back to the way the Beatles had been in the early 60s and um and you think yeah but but you're a superstar you're Paul McCartney you yeah. can't and, and you haven't known these people for half a decade you know yeah. you have, you don't have that uh relationship
0: and then uh, yeah we get to the end of April and John produces this kind of mysterious song for Mick Jagger I don't think I've heard this called please don't I... ever change
1: yeah, this is this is an odd thing. This is in the Keith Badman book. Yeah, and I, I'd never heard this mentioned before. And initially, when when uh, they were talking about you know uh, this Jagger session at at the Record Plant East, um, I thought, oh, that will be too many cooks spoil the broth or spoil the soup, which was also produced by Lennon, but previously back in LA. So I've I've never heard this version. Please don't ever change. I don't know anything about it. Yeah. Um but uh as far as i know never never saw the light of day if anybody yeah. has it again you know add add that to the list of things you're standing
0: and so when we get to may may is officially when george launches dark horse records and yes. uh, he's uh do splinter come out at that point or is that later in the year
1: that 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 starts around this period so. okay George, I think, goes into this with the idea that uh, he'll be fostering talent. It, it's, it, he'll be supporting artists. It, it, again, I've read that he and Ringo briefly considered buying Apple at this point. Okay. Uh, you know, like buying the other two out and just taking it forward and, and maybe trying to take it back to what the original intention had been. But he sort of decided, no, it would be easier to to, to sort of start his own his own label yeah. um you know, george's often very critical of apple about the money that was spent and it was re, sort of s- tries to disassociate himself a little bit by saying oh it was paul's idea, paul and john they, It was really their idea but he was he was probably the most involved of all of them in terms of uh, collaborations and production and, and he seems genuinely to have wanted to do that
0: yeah and what's also happening at this time is, uh, finally, in in the US, "Band on the Run" gets to to number one, sort of mid to late April into into May, and as Jet drops down the charts, "Band on the Run" appears at the bottom of the charts. So it's this cycle of single yep. promotion. Yeah. So Jet yeah. drops to twenty seven, "Band on the Run" appears at sixty eight, uh, right at the end of April, and they this you know throughout May, Jet drops out, "Band on the Run" goes up, and by the end of May, "Band on the Run" is in the the top ten in the US.
1: Yeah. Um, on its way to number one. Does on it it its way to
0: number, to number one, it gets to number one in uh, in June, um, which is where we we should probably go to. Yeah, it gets to number one in June in the US. And Wings also gets Jimmy mccullough who joins officially in nineteen seventy two, and or in in June nineteen seventy four, excuse me. Yeah. And the other thing that happens in uh, June is that John starts to get his act together and he starts yeah. to work on walls and bridges, and maybe that might be a good place to pause because. 1974 we're halfway through and it's starting to get very very interesting but originally you know you can see already that it's uh it's getting quite congested with beetle traffic
1: yes i mean i think this is a logical point where we've we've looked at uh what's been happening um, specifically with john around la this is now john moving into a genuinely creative uh period and is probably a good starting point for Part two.
0: Yeah, all of them get recording during the summer of seventy four, and we'll we'll talk about where they end up in the next half of nineteen seventy four. Um, thanks again for listening to us. Uh, we're available in all the usual places. We're on Twitter at Beatles Pod. Uh, we're on Facebook at the Nothing Is Real Facebook group. Uh, ask Stephen if you can get in there, and um, you know, please subscribe if you haven't already. Uh, leave a nice review if you feel like doing that. But otherwise, we'll see you next time. And for Nothing Is Real, I'm Jason Carty. I'm Stephen Cockroft. I will see you soon. Thanks. Nothing is Real is powered by ACAST. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Thanks for listening to Nothing Is Real. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, why not become a member? You'll get access to ad-free content, bonus episodes, and so much more. Follow the link in the show notes, sign up on ACAST Plus, or visit our website, nothingisrealpod.com.